you're trying way too hard for a film that's clearly not trying. In the world of Stephen King, nothing is ordinary. No one is innocent. And there is no escape from the nightmare in the corn. <laughs> Stephen King's Children of the Corn. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, The Dead Zone, and Christine. An adult nightmare. Stephen King's Children of the Corn. Radio Drome. Welcome to a almost Halloween edition of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me is the child of the corn himself, Alex Jowski. Corn! Adidas! And then we also have he who walks behind the Cecil. Ah, uh, I see. I was going to go with the he who walks behind the rose thing, but yes, it's me. Ah. If you can't tell, we're going to be doing a Children of the Corn retrospective for Halloween. Although we still do have another special Halloween episode next week, but we'll get into that. But first, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME to get 10 free items, 6 free DVDs, plus free U.S. shipping, plus a toy for him, plus a toy for her, plus a toy for both of you. If you go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME. Toys for your cornhole. We're going to be talking Children of the Corn. Now, I get in over my head with this franchise. I suggested this retrospective, and then I thought better of it after I started watching these things. I didn't like a single one of these. We'll get into Look, each one individually. Shut up, Alex. Wait. got into your head, over your head, because Cecil and I had either seen some of these or decided to watch them when you suggested this back in August. Yep. You decided to wait until this week to watch them all. That's how honestly, you uh, honestly, I, I marathoned most of them. I marathoned three through seven in the last three days. He saw oh. them in moderation. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I marathoned. Because, no, the, I have not seen the remake, which we'll get to, or the kind of, sort of, origin prequel, not really, Genesis, because I don't own either of those. I have the first film on Laserdisc, and then I have a DVD set I bought with 2 through 7 on it for $3 at the grocery store. I still feel I got ripped off for that. Let's let's go back. Children of the Corn was a story written by Stephen King in 1977, first appearing in Penthouse Magazine. It was a relatively short story. It just went over all right, and he ended up selling the rights as a dollar baby to be made into the short film Disciples of the Crow. The Dollar Babies are where you can adapt the Stephen King story, any one of his stories, with his permission and all rights to Stephen King for $1 if you want to do it as a student film or whatnot. And Disciples of the Crow was made in 1983. I have not read the short story, but I've heard this is pretty accurate to the story. I thought it was actually an all right short. It's accurate to the story until the third act. All the stuff with, you know, where you've got he who walks behind the rose and this, like, cheesy FX demon entering people, that ain't in the story at all. What happened was Stephen King sold the rights to this story, Children of the Corn, for $500. That is the most money he has made off of this nine-movie franchise. Nine and a half if you count the short. 
He's made $500. He's a little irritated at how the first film turned out. He wrote two screenplays for it for Hal Roach Studios, the company that bought the rights to the story from him. Well, what happened was Hal Roach ended up subletting the rights to Roger Corman's just-sold New World Pictures. So one of the very first non-Roger Corman New World Pictures was 1984's Children of the Corn. Stephen King hated it. He hated how much violence they added to it. He hated the fact that they constantly, when he was writing for it, were trying to pepper him into putting, in his words, a goddamn Vietnam metaphor throughout the whole thing. So 1984 brought us Children of the Corn. I'm not a fan. I like the first half of it. I like the opening where you have all the kids killing everybody. But after that, it drags. Linda Hamilton is about as sexy as a T-800. Hey, hey, hey. She dances sexy in the beginning. No, she doesn't. She she might as well have been doing the robot. The third act is just it gets off the rails and becomes ludicrous. I laughed out loud when... He who walks behind the rose is this goofy-ass yellow lightning jumping into somebody. The third act is terrible where they, they save some of the kids because the story, there was, it was like a Twilight Zone episode. You're in there, you're fucked, and that's it. I've always kind of had a little thing for Linda Hamilton, so, you know, yeah, I, I, I dug that. I thought, uh, like Alex said, the opening, it opened really strong with the kids, you know, killing all the parents. I thought the kid who played uh, Isaac in this was the creepiest kid of the entire series. Like that kid. Even more than Malachi? Well, Malachi was was also creepy, but in a different way. Like Isaac just, his eyes were too far apart. You just get, you know, you looked at you and you're like, ugh. Like I had it on. I was watching it and my wife came in. She's like, what's wrong with that kid? (laughs) Isaac is totally effective. Yeah, Isaac, great casting. He was a good actor, too, because he he has to deliver many long, rambling speeches, and you buy it. He was Mm -hmm. a good actor, too. Honestly, I think he was a better actor than Peter Horton or Linda Hamilton, really. Yeah, because he was the only one that I actually bought his performance. I mean, well, to the, you know, uh, Malachi to a certain extreme. Yeah, Isaac was just a creep. And it's a shame that the rest of the movie really didn't live up to it because it just got got dumb. Even though it was 92 minutes, it did start to drag. And, it, you know, I mean, it was OK. I didn't hate it, but it was just like, eh. Well, and OK, here's here's part of the problem. Like both of you pointed out, it does drag. And oh, my God, does it drag? But what do you get when you try to take a 20 page short story and make it into a 90 minute movie? That's what's going to happen. But then you've also got, again, having not read the short story, I hated the adult characters. Peter Horton and Linda Hamilton were terrible people that I didn't want to spend an hour and a half with. Most of the kids were terrible actors. The The plot makes no sense. So we, we, get, we get this flashback to three years prior, so 1980. And by the way, the years are important for sequels. In 1980, all the kids just rebel and kill everyone in town because he who walks behind the rose tells them to. So then we jump to 1983. All the kids are played by the same actors who look exactly the same, have the same hairstyles. There's electricity in the town. Who's paying these electric bills? Has nobody noticed that not a single adult has left this town? They had a giant corn harvest. Nobody notices this isn't shipping anymore. They have a dead police officer that wandered into town. No one noticed that this cop 
wandered into town two years ago and never reported back in. They're on a major highway. The highway department has not noticed that there's no adults in town. How does this go on for three years with no one noticing? Oh, because the producers are idiots. He who pays the bills behind the rose. I guess. <laughs> they do hint that, like, Isaac had deals with people outside of Gatlin. You know, I mean, the the man that warns people, don't go that way, is, you know, the fact that they're in cahoots with him kind of shows that they were kind of handling things on their own. There were older kids that couldn't took care of this shit. But about the, the child actors being not that good, Isaac is awesome. Those two main kids, the, the ones that were like the good kids. That I didn't swear they were it, reading off cue cards just off camera. Those kids, every single line they delivered made me want to stab them. They were <laughs> terrible. This is one of those ones where I'm surprised that this became a franchise. The movie made a ton of money. $800,000 budget made $14 million. Guaranteed a sequel with that kind. Although it takes nothing. You could make a low-budget movie for $14 million these days. But here's the thing. This movie was savaged by critics. No one liked this movie. The reviews from most of the major magazines were negative. The word of mouth was negative. Yet everyone went to go see the movie. It's another one of those kind of mind-boggling, why was this a franchise? Uh, it had a good opening. I mean, they had a good ad campaign. People really, really wanted to go see Stephen King movies. A lot of times, eh, it, it's just, it, it's confusing. I mean, look at the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Everybody, oh my God, this movie's going to suck. It's going to be terrible. And then it opens at number one in the box office because everybody has to go see, you know, how good or bad it is. Uh, most of them going and then they come back and complain about it. But um, with this, I think it was simply that Stephen King was a really hot ticket at the time. This uh, had his name plastered all over it and they went to go see it. I mean, my my like I remember vividly my 70 uh, year old uncle went to see it. He doesn't even like horror movies. And I was just like, because I remember we were, we were at, I think it was like Thanksgiving or something. He's like, you see this children in a corn movie? The kids all kill the adults. And I'm like, why did you go see that movie? They had an effective ad campaign. It's the only thing I could think of. I don't remember at all when this movie came out because I was three. I don't remember when this film came out in theaters. I do remember when it came out on video and hit HBO. It was a big damn deal. I think I watched hit. it on showtime on like a thursday afternoon that's when i first watched it after i'd read the short story it just happened to be on this film is successful kind of despite itself new world pictures just goes on eventually new world's assets when they kind of start to collapse in the late 80s are bought by the then new dimension films so now nine years after the fact children of the corn 2 comes out oddly enough called the final sacrifice considering there are seven more movies after this. It's not the final. This film gets made in 1992, comes out in 1993, and we get our first they don't care at all about this film. Keep in mind, I pointed out the original film takes place in 1983. This is explicitly stated. They don't say when Children of the Corn 2 takes place, but it's a week after the events of the first film. Everyone has 90s hair, there's 90s music, 90s models of cars, 90s technology. How do we go from 1983 to 1993 in a week? This was the first, they don't care. They're not even trying to make this a good franchise. Second, you've got Terrence Knox as a 
totally unlikable character in this. You've got Christy Clark as a totally unlikable character. Basically, every character in this film is completely unlikable. I love Children of the Corn, too. This is the only one of the series that I actually genuinely enjoy. Like, the other ones, I'm kind of okay with. But this one, I actually really like. Did a video on it. And uh, I think you're not mixing up Christy Clark with Rosalind Allen, are you? Because Christy Clark was the was the girl. Uh, Rosalind Allen, Terrence Knox's forced love interest. She's as terrible of as of a person as he is, and I don't want to spend time with them. They hated each other. There was a an article in Fangoria where they interviewed the uh, director, and he talked about how like when they did their love scene, it was like she came in and was just like, "Let's get this over with," and like they could not stand each other. And so you know what? that chemistry showed up on screen because they have none. They have no chemistry. But I liked, uh, I just liked it. I mean, yes, it was ridiculous that the timing was way off. A week later, we've jumped a decade. Yeah, but I I kind of, I liked the effects. I kind of liked the smart-ass Indian, the way they kind of had, like, he who walks behind the rose was like a predator. <laughs> he was also reused footage from the first film. He was also re well, they reused that footage of the the dirt mounds in a few of these. Uh, but yeah, Terrence Knox was not really the he wasn't really even like the lead. It was uh, it was Danny. It was the the kid who uh, ended up being like the hero. But it had the best line sinning most vigorously. Oh, I love that. Christy Clark. Uh, she was the the, the the female love interest. And was so cute, and uh, and she's she was 19 at the time, so it was okay. But <laughs> she, I really, I had a major crush on her, so that kind of helped them make the movie a little bit more bearable. But uh, I don't know, I, I just think it's a lot of fun. It it uh, it went by so much faster. It had a, a much better pacing. I just I just enjoy it. I think it was a good movie. Okay, when Children of the Corn 2 first came out, I was like 12 years old. I'd seen the trailers on TV, and I'm like, I kind of want to see this. And I asked my parents, and they said no. And I, I accepted that no because you got to pick your battles. And I knew I had Alien 3 and Twin Peaks Firewalk with me that I was going to fight for later that year. So I let Children of the Corn 2 slide. And I'm okay with the movie. I mean, when I finally did see it on video, I was like, yeah, that's about what I expected. It's not bad. You know, it's a goofy sequel. I, I didn't like it. I really just didn't like it. I... I thought the story was ridiculous. They tried to put this conspiracy because most of it takes place in the neighboring town from Gatlin. And there's this conspiracy to to sell tainted corn. And I just thought you're trying way too hard for a film that's clearly not trying. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. And this film got a theatrical release and it did pretty decent. I don't have any numbers on this one, but it did pretty decent. Then two years later, they released Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest, which was the last theatrically released in America Children of the Corn movie. And this one, they decide to take the kids from Gatlin, who apparently were ignoring part two here, because one thing you got to remember about part two, this thing was national news in the story. Now all of a sudden part three... Nobody knows what happened in Gatlin, and this couple from Chicago adopts a couple of the kids and then are all surprised, like, they're worshipping this corn god and what, they killed people? Oh my god! This film was even worse than the second film. I hated Children of the Corn 3, and I thought Urban Harvest, to try and take this 
rural story and put it into the middle of Chicago, I thought was just wrong, especially because you got the black boy, you got the black boy in it. T-Loke, man. This thing is so 90s. I love Children of the Corn 3. <laughs> um, you just love T-Loke. It's all about Daniel Seri, the, the, the kid that plays Eli, who, by the way, was the evil kid in De- Demonic Toys. No, the, I seen this trailer a million times because it was on every single VHS I rented or bought at the time. It, it's, I think it's on the VHS I have for kids even has a trailer for Children of the Corn 3. And Say the full title. Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest because that title Har- is so stupid. The story is so bad it's good because now they're in Chicago. Which is apparently a two-hour drive from Gatlin, Nebraska. This is like the Children of the Corn in space because all the others are all in Nebraska. This is the one where they went farther. This is the in-space version of this franchise, okay? They're able to grow corn in, like, this hobo alley. In a warehouse. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it, like, an abandoned warehouse? And it's, like, some cursed corn and shit. And the fact that it says Gatlin, Nebraska, and that they're in Chicago, but when it's necessary, Nebraska is only a afternoon's drive from Chicago. No one seems to know. So what happened to all the CNN coverage and shit from the second film? Oh, we nobody- knocked the second film out of continuity because, screw you, we wanted to go this direction. Nobody watches the news, and they didn't in 1995 either. Urban Harvest was really funny. How 90s not it was. Not meant to be. No, 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 no. Not meant to be funny. Oh, well, it few... is so 90s. You've got the high oh. school kids, and they're being all... The hairstyles, the clothes. Oh, because, the clothes. Because they're the all pastels. urban, yo. Uh, the best was when uh, the brother is like trying to get it on with the uh, with with T-Loke's sister and he's all like what do I have to do to get a home run and he's like uh oh son or something it's so, it's so good that's why i love this movie and it's i will say the terrible. the for the last half hour the violence really comes out of nowhere cuz they he kills it's the mother paced up to that point it's it's pretty like eh, and then it's like all of a sudden he goes on a spree. He kills the the bum. He kills the mother in what I thought was a really creative way. She fell and she smashed her head, uh, the back of her head against that um water pipe. Her the pipe stuck out of her mouth a little bit, and then water started coming out, and then blood started coming out. I was like, all right, you know what? They they put a little bit of money into that effect. That was pretty awesome. Not how that would work either, but whatever. It doesn't matter. It looked cool. You know, it's it's about kids that fucking grew corn in a warehouse in Chicago. And I oh, I loved how the uh, the father is like, he eats the corn, and he's like, this strain is going to make us millions and, oh it was so ridiculous corn is so good have you tasted corn this sweet before <laughs> well, it's and then, like dude it's corn and just one other thing he takes the corn to work and he's giving it to his boss <laughs> there's a briefcase full of it it's gonna make so much money off it. hey you ever seen corn like this and the one thing it is notable for if nothing else this was Charlize theron's first movie it was a lot of fun. It was it was much better. It, you know what I will say? I was kind of eh in the beginning, but like once I'd say the last forty five minutes kicked in when he killed the the he killed the one lady at the school for no reason, 
and it just got really, really, really ridiculous. And uh, I, I, yeah, it was it was fun. It wasn't good, but I laughed a lot, and so that at least it was entertaining. Well, and now Children of the Corn Three starts a trend we'll see through the rest of the sequels: a cliffhanger ending that none of the other films will ever acknowledge again. The next four films will have a cliffhanger ending that will be completely ignored by the next film. In this one, they they started to ship the evil corn all over the world, and they're getting shipments in Germany and England, and... Bwahaha! Yeah, we're never going to bring this up again. I think because they never anticipated making sequels that it's just like, we'll leave them on a cliffhanger, you know, to leave an open ending. But by the fourth time you do that... The, the franchise went direct-to-video at this point. Children of the Corn 3 didn't do bad, didn't do great. So Children of the Corn 4, The Gathering, is the first straight-to-video film in 1996 starring a relatively unknown Naomi Watts. And, and then there was Karen Black, who plays a drunk in the movie, and I don't think she was acting. I swear Karen Black really was drunk in this movie. I don't I, think she was a drunk. I think that character was actually just mentally ill. I'm not sure, but because the whole the whole motive the whole impetus of impetus of the movie is that Naomi Watts's character comes back to this town to take care of her crazy ass mom, who's Karen Black. And also, the town. This is the first one that doesn't have anything to do with Gatlin. The the children don't even really worship he who works behind, who walks behind the rose in this one. This is almost the. I mean, it, it is, they do say he who walks behind the rose, but it almost feels shoehorned into the movie. Honestly, I think this might have been a standalone script that they held, the, that they later Hellraisered movie to make a Children of the Corn movie out of. This is, most of this movie is like a medical mystery that happens to be a Children of the Corn movie. Out of all the sequels, yeah, this one does definitely feel out of continuity, like they shoehorned it in. Because you're right, it does. It's it's mostly like this disease is affecting the children. What do? And it's making the children go all religious, crazy, and kill. I didn't much enjoy this one at all. I, I had a hard time getting motivated about it. Only thing I'll say is Naomi Watts doesn't look like she's half-assing it. She looks like she's actually trying. Naomi Watts knows she has a future. If she can do, if she can pull off Children of the Corn Four, well, fuck, you know, maybe she can be in the ring. Uh, the only reason I really went to look for this one was because uh, I had just seen Tank Girl and I liked Naomi Watson that and I was like oh she's in this it was on cable one night and I was like oh what the hell Naomi Watts I'll check it out and uh, it's um yeah it's definitely one of the weakest it really doesn't fit in it's it's just it's just dull and and yeah I, I really like I didn't even care I, I think that you're onto something with them shoehorning this in like they did with the Hellraiser the movies. The only mention he who walks behind the rose twice near the end, like that could have been added over a weekend. Yeah, they're really kind of like, oh, shit, we got to work some corn in here somewhere. All right. You know, yeah, so it, it was just kind of eh. It's definitely one of the weaker ones. Which is kind of surprising. We're at the franchise point at this point. We're four movies in, and yet they don't seem to be caring about it being a franchise which is, I think, kind of strange, which will continue in the, in the later ones. Then, then we go to Children of the Corn 5 in 1998. Again, direct-to-video. Now, this one is interesting. It's got an early role for Eva Mendez, who is just terrible in this film. There's actually one point I thought Eva Mendez's character was supposed to be like a satire. When they're running for the bus, 
She goes, guys, guys, wait up. I'm in heels. Wait up, wait up. I actually kind of turned to my wife and said, they really want me to spend 83 minutes with this character? Screw this character. What this movie does have going for it is they had David Carradine for a day. He never leaves the one room and he only gets up out of his chair once. So they clearly had David Carradine for a day. You had Fred Williamson kicking ass as the sheriff. That's awesome. And just randomly Kane Hodder as a bartender because why not? Of course Fred Williamson is kicking ass. He's boss nigga. This one, I guess they decided to go somewhat different. Okay, I've said this before, especially when it comes to like Rob Zombie characters, where he doesn't understand the difference between flawed characters and f***ing assholes. Every character in this movie besides Fred Williamson is a f***ing asshole. Oh, some of them are just stupid. Like, this is the one where you had that, that girl that's like, my boyfriend died, so I feel suicidal now. That was Eva Mendez. Yeah, I know. And Eva Mendez commits suicide in the corn. And it was like, oh, God. Well, and, and then you've got the hot hick that she's kind of making googie eyes at. And I'm just yeah. like, this is this movie's stupid. Almost every single character felt like a archetype from a slasher movie. I mean, the whole premise is... A car full of college kids breaks down in nowhere, which how many times have you seen that premise before? And again, this isn't Gatlin. How many how many Nebraska towns are full of crazy kid cults that worship he who walks behind the rose? Again, he who walks behind the rose is almost added as an afterthought. They never mentioned the town name. I assumed it was Gatlin. It can't be Gatlin because it's full of adults. It's full of Fred Williamson. No, and you've got Kane Hodder and the drunks at the bar, and you've got kind of David Carradine, who's sort of not even really alive. He's like a vessel for he who walks behind the rose and whatnot. Then you've got the creepy kid from Picket Fences as the real leader, and you've got a full full fire department that they end up setting on fire. Irony that. I thought this film was terrible, and this film also has an ending that they ignore in all the future films that... Allison finally gets back and she finds Lily, this little girl who has the evil eyes that that Adam Wiley had as Ezekiel. So, oh, my God, it's starting all over. He who walks behind the rose is reborn. Yeah, we're never going to mention that again. Five, I think that um, because of like Scream and I know you did last summer and Urban Legend, like all the uh, reintroduction of this very much felt like it was moving in on that. Absolutely. Yeah, it felt like they were taking. Oh, wait. You know, uh, college kids are the hot thing right now. Let's put college kids in the middle of the cornfields. And so they took a lot of young, pretty people and had them run around and say stupid things and do stupid things and die in stupid ways. Yeah, pretty much what you guys said. This was uh, it was better than four, but not as much fun as three. And uh, you have David Carradine's head splitting open, eating Fred Williamson. That automatically makes it better. One three minute segment in a a very kind of uneventful film. Not not terrible. I mean, I've seen far worse and it's it's fun. I'd I'd watch it again, but, you know, not for a while. Do you think I'm wrong about how they had David Carradine for a day, considering he never leaves that one room? He has maybe 10 to eight to 10 minutes of total screen time. And it even only gets up out of the chair once. I'm watching oh, I'm this sure. going, they had him for a day. 
you know, they show David Carradine in his first scene. I'm like, oh my god, it's David Carradine. And I was actually excited that he had a second scene. You thought that was it? I thought that was it. And then we move on to the next film, Children of the Corn, 666, Isaac's Return. You know they were just waiting for the sixth film to be able to use that pun. In Hell 1999, yeah. this film actually brings back the original Isaac, and it also has Nancy Allen, completely wasted. I mean, that both in both ways you can put it. And you've got Stacy Keach. He does have a few good lines, and he looks like he's having some fun. I still say this movie is below him. This is the first one that really tries to tie continuity-wise back to the first film, and I think it does it in a stupefyingly moronic way. After the mid-90s, there was really nothing that was below Stacy Keach. I liked that they brought back some of the original. They brought back the original Isaac. Is nowhere near as creepy as he was in the original movie. He just looks like a frumpy old man now. Stacy Keach has some wonderful lines. Nancy Allen is campy. Overall, the movie didn't stick with me as much. I mean, I really got into it for the first hour. After that, I was just, uh, okay, I'll just go with it now. Well, and this film also has another ending we're never going to bring up again. Hannah is now pregnant with the child of He Who Walks Behind the Rose, and there's this final shot of, like, the dun-dun-dun! We're never going to bring this up again. Why do you keep having dun-dun-dun endings if you don't want to follow them? You look that up because that, that, that actress was so unimpressive, there's no way you remembered her name was Hannah. That's my point, is that the movie, you know wasn't impressive enough to actually remember character names outside of Isaac, who's the title. Yeah, Stacey Keach was good in this one. Uh, I was bummed because they did go through the... Uh, probably not too difficult to get Isaac back for this. Yeah, he didn't act a whole at a whole lot of stuff, so... Yeah, I, I don't he, think John Franklin probably was that hard. <laughs> no, they probably were like, hey, we want to have you in another Children of the Corn movie, only now you're not really a child anymore, and... You 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 kind of look creepy, but nowhere near that vibe. That first one, man. He he looked. He sold just, it. He he looked like somebody that would have the devil in him. Now he just kind of looked like an old dude. He just—it's so weird because he looks exactly the same, except does, except with wrinkles. He's got wrinkles and he looks older, but he does look the same. It's weird. It, it's it is. Weird. Because that kid, that that look is so odd for a kid, but eh, it's just average for an adult. Yeah, it looks like he just he. It looks like it, they took the the regular the kid and they just kind of melted him a little bit. I agree like, with that because his face is just kind of sagging and he just looks tired. And he did he did try, but yeah, it just it didn't work. And uh, Nancy Allen was on something. Uh, but I did oh, think you, that you could tell by her eyes. Nancy Allen was not sober during this. Yeah, Nancy Allen was was elsewhere at the time. Yeah, Stacy Keach was good, and and uh, he looked like yeah. he was having fun. Honestly, I'm sure. There's that, there's that line where he's smoking a cigarette, and somebody's like, "Those things will kill you," and he's like, "Why do you think I smoke them?" <laughs> I honestly, the way he delivered that, that may have been an ad lib. That may because been... for one thing, that's too clever for the rest of this script. That may have been like he didn't know the camera was on and that this was a scene. <laughs> he, he thought somebody honestly asked him why he was smoking. At this point, six movies in, why is this film a franchise? Nobody was liking these movies. 
I remember Fangoria when they announced 666 was like, they're still making these? Why are they still making Children of the Corn movies? And keep in mind, we still got a couple to go here. Why is this a franchise? I'm going to keep asking that. And this is canon. This isn't even forced. They had to have been making money. That's the only reason. They had to, I mean, they wouldn't keep making them if they weren't getting a decent enough return on investment. So bottom line is somebody was repeatedly watching these and that's it. I mean, hell, we, we did. Yeah, that was my idiotic suggestion. You can blame yes. me for that. That was <laughs> my fault. Uh, somebody other than us watched these? <laughs> I'd be surprised, honestly. So now we go to 2001. They're still making these. Children of the Corn, Revelation. This movie, all, all I'm going to read is the review from DVD Talk. Quote, Director Guy Magar took the traditional no-budget direct-to-video paint-by-numbers approach, resulting in an uninvolving, unremarkable film that doesn't offer even the most fleeting glimpse of terror or suspense. Unquote. That sums it up. Children of the Cord Revelation is terrible. They it is awful. Said from the director of Stepfather 3. And Michael Ironside is in this movie. I, I, again, I swear, just like David Carradine, they, they got him for a day. Michael Ironside's part could have been played by anybody. All they wanted was, we can put Michael Ironside's name on the poster. They this, didn't even put his name on the poster. I, I know. I, going into this, I didn't know Michael Ironside was in it. I'm like, Michael Ironside? What? This, this was terrible. I agree with DVD talk. This movie is bland. It is so paint-by-numbers. There's nothing whatsoever to make this movie stick out. And this movie had a $2.5 million budget. This thing looks like something the Asylum would have been ashamed to put their name oh, on. Oh, Where hey. did this $2.5 million go? Was it all to get Michael Ironside? Uh, hey, hey, don't go bringing up the Asylum that way. The Asylum wouldn't have even sunk this low. This movie, it bored the f*** out of me. I'm sorry. It, it was boring. I could, I, it took me a week to get through this movie because I would start it and make it about 20 minutes in. And I'd be, just be like, there's nothing happening. Oh, and, Michael Ironside showed up and rambled some biblical passages. Big deal. Yes, this movie is so dull. It's bland. It's uh, starts with some girl like, oh, where's my grandma? And I'm like, she's 90, dude. Just deal with it, woman. I couldn't get into this at all. This was the first one I missed. And I'm bummed because Michael I mean, Ironside, got Michael Ironside, did, uh, Crystal Lowe. You and... didn't miss much. Yeah, it's, apparently I didn't miss much with these last three, unfortunately. Michael uh, Ironside's profile picture on IMDb has more going on for it than this entire movie. <laughs> and then you've got Michael Ironside. He's not advertised in the trailer. He's not advertised on the poster. Do you think that was Michael Ironside saying, you know what, I'll show up and do this for a day. You don't get to bank off my name. He's in, like, two scenes. I know. That's why I said I think they had him for a day. They had him for an hour. It, it, this was awful. And now, there's technically one more film in this franchise, but since we're going chronologically, for some reason, in 2009, a full eight years later, a different company. This one is not Dimension. This was a Sci-Fi Channel original, but this 
they made a remake of Children of the Corn directed by Donald P. Borchers, well, directed, produced, and written by him. He he, uh, produced the original. I did not see this, but Alex tells me this is not a bad remake, actually. I actually really enjoyed the hell out of this. First of all, the one thing I have to point out is that the foley in it is amazing. The sound is great. Like when they hit that kid with the car, you hear like the crunch of bones. And All right, Cecil, I think when the first thing you say about a movie is it's got great foley, that's not good, is it? There, there are movies that I've seen that have had amazing sound design, so I'm, I'm good with that. They, uh, the way that they approach the characters in this remake is they've got the husband of this couple as a Vietnam vet. There's, they, you know what? Donald P. Borchers was the one trying to push Stephen King for the Vietnam metaphor. I guess he finally got it, huh? No, what it does is they've got his wife, who's, I can't remember the actress's name, but she's she's black, and she was like a prom queen, and she is uppity and hates her husband. And everything in the movie, she's like, well, is this like it was in Nam? Did you, you're you going to kill babies now like you did in Vietnam? And he's like, shut up, woman. She puts in the most bitchy, wonderful performance that I've seen. The mo- the biggest problem I have with this movie is the opening scene. Has these kids that are just like great, talented actors that grip you into the movie. And then it goes to 12 years later and you never see those really good kid actors again. Yeah, because doesn't this one dip into 1960s for the flashback instead of only three years earlier? Yeah, because the film itself takes place in the 70s. That's why this young guy is a Vietnam vet. This one had an interesting history with Stephen King. Now, Stephen King, obviously, like, he wasn't happy with what Donald P. Borchers did with the original film, as I pointed out at the beginning of this episode. Stephen King has had nothing, not a thing, to do with this franchise since it went to New World back in 1983. So Borchers sent him a copy of the script and just said, I, we're remaking this, and I want to make it closer to your novel. I'd really like your opinion on the script. Now, I don't know if Stephen King gave the appropriate response or if he was being a dick. The script came back with a note from Stephen King's lawyer, I want nothing to do with this franchise or you. Don't ever send me anything again. And I think he probably was mad because they're now on the eighth film and he only got 500 bucks out of it. So, eh, I don't know. I mean, you never know what he was going through at the time. He might have been having some issues or something but you know what it's i don't blame him for it because you know they're on the eighth film of f***ing around with something that he thought up originally it does kind of suck because this film actually is closer to the story than the original movie was it doesn't get into all that supernatural he who walks behind the rose is actually like a demon in the corn that the movies exploited because that's not in here they well, mention I- he who walks behind the rose mostly it's just crazy kids Well, and I do know Stephen King was not happy with the franchise holders as a whole, even though they had the legal right to do this because he was an idiot, basically newbie when he signed the contract. They have the right to use his name. Every one of these films that he's had nothing to do with is like, from the imagination of Stephen King, Stephen King presents from the mind of Stephen King. I know he did give an interview where he was kind of irritated at how this franchise keeps making people think he has something to do with it. So I think he probably just hit his limit. And since Borchers made most of these, I think the last person in the world he wanted to hear from was Donald P. Borchers. So this movie was a TV movie. So we don't know how well or not what not it did. It 
it had a four and a half million dollar budget. I know it sold pretty well on DVD. And then Dimension made a weird decision. Keep in mind, Dimension didn't do the remake. So now you've got a remake out. When you do a remake, traditionally, that puts the old franchise as old hat. You, it knocks the old franchise out. Then they go and make Children of the Corn Genesis, which is a sequel to the original franchise. So it's actually the eighth movie in the original franchise that comes out two years after the remake that it completely ignores. Was this a pissing contest between Borchers and Dimension at this point? Okay, I want to rant about this movie. Um, okay, this fucking movie is awful. <laughs> this piece of shit. Okay, first of all, it takes place in California, and it's you get this couple that they're traveling. Oh, no, our car breaks down. Let's go to this farmhouse where it's like this old farmer and his mail-order Russian bride from the Ukraine – a run like some kitty porn ring because they go in there and it's an old man, this Russian woman, and a flat screen TV and a barn full of kids that are being abused. It has nothing to do with corn. They never mention corn or he who walks behind the rose. So it's not the Genesis? No, it's basically this married couple saying, well, we got to save these kids from this creepy old man's child porn ring and then being killed in their attempt has nothing, nothing to do with Children of the Corn at all. They don't even try to tie it in outside of the, the title of the movie. It's, this movie is terrible. The woman that plays the Russian wife is awful. She kept pissing me off because she was trying to fuck everything, the whole movie. So God, hated would, this. Would you say this was a not good way to cap off this franchise? Dude, they should have just, oh God, this movie is awful. I spent like 90 minutes just saying you at my tv all right fair enough what do you guys think about the franchise as a whole i think children of the corn as a franchise you could tell when dimension took over because their movies felt different than the new world movie because i have to say this the post roger corman new world stuff honestly children of the corn does fit into that that's the style of picture that they were putting out then i think it's the sequels even though the first two were were theatrically released, they feel direct-to-video. I don't know if that was just because Dimension was a new company at the time. I, these films just, I hated the first one, and to me, they got worse and worse and worse and worse as they went on. For some reason, they seemed to think, well, we can get Stacy Keach, we can get Nate, Nancy Allen, we get Fred Williamson, we get, we get David Carradine, we get Michael Ironside. We get some star for a day or two, and that'll cover this the terrible film that we're making. I don't think that's the way you should have been making a franchise. This franchise is terrible. The franchise in general is pretty bad. For me, the only one that I genuinely enjoyed was two. Three was entertaining because it was so dumb. Just I think the way silly. you put it earlier was dumb, and that's the way it what it deserves. Dumb. Yeah, okay, dumb. I'll go with dumb. Uh, and the rest of them, of the ones that I've seen, have been corny. Uh, but You know what? No, no, no. More or less no, no. corny. That? No, for that, you got Adam and Eve promo for the next month. Oh, no. They were corny. Wasn't even intentional. <laughs> that that that's makes, it, <laughs> makes it even worse. Five weeks. <laughs> two. I got you for two months. Two was good. The Isaac was the creep in the first one. And the rest of them were okay. Okay, too bad. So overall, 
not really the best franchise. As a franchise, I was surprised when they made two. And then when I saw three advertised, I was like, well, I guess that's inevitable. But when I actually watched part three, I'm like, that's the bottom of the barrel. You know, there's not nothing that close. can go from here. Yeah, not and even close. I thought there were more movies. My response was, what? Who who thought that was possible? Why did they think this was a good idea? And I watched the movies recently and realized that nobody ever thought it was a good idea, and it actually never was. As a franchise, you know, I stopped at three. I, I kind of like to imagine that the, the evil shipments of corn went out. And, and, you know, I'll write my own Children of the Corn 4 fan fiction about the evil corn and I'll bring Daniel Cerny back his his Eli. So as a franchise this thing fails. As an idea it's not that bad. Now I haven't seen this movie but Alex you told me that there's a film that predates Children of the Corn that you do want to talk about that I guess is similar. 1976 movie Who Can Kill a Child aka Isle of the Damned. It's a British couple on vacation in Spain. And they go to an island where all the children have murdered the adults, Sydney murdering every single adult. It is a absolutely wonderful horror film. In fact, if you look at just the IMDb rating, it's like double what Children of the Corn has. It's definitely worth checking out. You don't even need to watch any of the Children of the Corn movies. Just watch Who Can Kill a Child. And you can listen to an episode of the production booth with Mike White, which I'm really hoping that Josh will include the link for that episode here. I will I will hopefully do that. Speaking of Mike White, next week we're going to continue our little Halloween celebration. Mike White will be joining us to look at the Creepshow franchise, plus a film that's not really in the Creepshow franchise, but is. I'll explain that more next week. So Mike White will be joining us next week. But for now, where can the obligatory Adam and Eve promo screwer upper Cecil be found? You can find me screwing up things at goodbadflix.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. Where can we find Outlander? Jowski. Geekjuicemedia.com. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com and contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Being this close to Halloween, just ignore the children of the corn movies and eat candy corn.
Radio Drome is a 1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.